welcome to Repertory Screenings, episode 57. I'm your host, M, and with me are my regular co-host, Jackson. Hello. And Destiny. Hey, hey, hey. And we're here to talk about some goddamn movies. Movies! Uh, Jackson, I'm calling on you first. What have you seen? Oh, I've seen a bunch of movies. What do you want? How many do you want? Because um, As many as you want to anyone... talk about. What do you want to talk about? I've, okay. Uh, I've not seen anywhere near on your level, but... um. What did I talk about? Where were we? I'm just checking where we where we left off last time. Okay, um, I watched uh, All Quiet on the Western Front. Oh yeah, I watched that in high school. I think I don't remember it at all. We read the book. I and... read it in high school, and I remember yeah. having an existential crisis. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was already like... living inside of a twenty year long existential crisis in high school, so um, I impressive caused that. I just remember it fucked up my entire day. Like, that's the one thing I remember about reading that book in high school. I'm not saying it had been going for 20 years in high school. I'm saying that the start of it happened in, like, junior high and went for 20 years. <laughs> uh, yeah, th- I, I thought it was fantastic. I was surprised at just um, just how good it was. Uh, that's, a, that's a classic movie. What happens uh, at the Western Front? Everyone dies. Oh, is that why it's quiet? <laughs> arguably <laughs> um i mean it's one of those where like if you describe it it doesn't sound very good because of how war movies have been for the last 100 years because if i say oh you go to the western front and then you come back changed and you can't relate to anyone in the real world uh you go yes i have also seen hurt locker and the scene where he tries to buy cereal um because this is this is in everything right it, it, it is all war movies and they have been that forever um it's just a really well executed one of those um in a way that is uh it's very funny and very good because it's like i think it's good and it's a very good story about the ways in which like uh a nationalist uh state of any kind can in like encourage the idea of war as this heroic thing when everyone just kind of dies pointlessly and helplessly very standard narrative but obviously it's about it's from the german perspective so when you look at reviews from the time it's like if they played this movie germany wouldn't like fuck up the liberal agenda ever again all we need this is how we can get the un to win or the league of nations at this point i guess uh so it's it's hilarious and like the vision of this story that is as much about america as it is about germany because it is about these like universal concepts uh of how states encourage um children to die for them pointlessly uh is read as an endorsement of peace and peace is me i am peace anyone objecting to peace they're they're bad but peace is when i win (laughs) and that's how a lot of war movies or even anti-war movies get read uh but that's beside the point of the film itself which i think is very good it's a very good early sound film um in terms of yo they they got sound in movies now we can just have explosions and battle scenes and it's all kicking off uh it's great it's just great um i watched some other ones as well you know going through my just going through my old movies i I talked about the like dirty harry ones and other stuff on other podcasts but i also watched city lights um and Dishonored. I watched Dishonored. What's Dishonored? Uh, Dishonored is a uh, 1931 uh, Marlene Dietrich movie about her as like a spy who is uh, like trying to seduce and kill the Russians. Oh, okay. She's an Austrian spy and that's her thing and she is great. It's it's a pretty good movie. Not as good as Quite on the West Front, but I, I really liked it. 
um, just enjoying old movies. You, nothing looks better than a good restoration of a film from 1930. Yeah. Variety in my Discover tab on Twitter this morning was a thing from Variety. Ah, oh, the the extraordinary efforts Peter Jackson went through to make the Beatles footage look crystal clear or whatever. And I'm like, every every transfer worth its salt looks fantastic. Every black and white movie, like a 2K, a 4K scan, I don't give a shit as long as they've got the actual film, uh, looks fucking incredible. Period. Um, and they don't have to DNR them to shit to make them look good. They just look good. Um, everyone in Variety is fired for never having seen a movie made before 2001, I guess. Um, I understand, like, some prints are fucked up and they didn't, yeah. re- like, keep, but if the ones they kept in their cans, yeah. uh, they still look good. They yeah. still look just good. And the transfers are amazing. Yeah, especially a black and white film. Man, you get that cleaned up. Looks Nothing on earth looks as good as a black and white movie. Oh, tell me about it. Um, Destiny. I watched, uh, I kind of talked about this on Battling Girls, but the 1971 bisexual vampire classic, The Velvet Vampire, directed by Stephanie Rothman, about this cool, rich, dune buggy driving uh, vampire lady who seduces this couple, which is probably my second favorite genre of movie uh next to new york in the 70s is just cool rich bisexual vampire lady that seduces couples um so... how many movies have been released that are both genres <laughs> i assume that has to be uh, its own thriving subgenre. yeah yeah no it is it there's there's uh daughters of darkness there's the hunger <laughs> there's you know it's it's you know it's it's out there uh but yeah, good time. Um, I also watched um, Josephine Decker's Butter on the Latch, which is a kind of horror film, kind of experimental film about these two women who are kind of having this intense friendship in the middle of this Balkan dance camp that they're in in upstate New York. Uh, I liked some of it and some of it i was just like this would be better if it was just a straight up horror movie and uh, instead of this uh psychological thriller thing and it was really well shot i just i don't know it didn't grab me like a whole lot um but i did enjoy the like improvised dialogue between the main characters and it seemed very like well naturalistic because it was all improvised and i just really appreciated it uh, and watch this movie too. And yeah, you... I did not like it as much as you. Uh, we picked it because we were looking through the um, female friends like subcategory on the Criterion channel, and we picked this one over a couple other ones because it was like, oh, well, one, it was short, and two, is like this is like a David Lynch film. I don't, I don't think the people writing blurbs understand what makes a David Lynch thing a David Lynch thing because other than like sometimes there was like some camera cutting that was not the most stock thing in the world there was and it takes some of it takes place at night in the woods where someone's shining a flashlight at some trees there's nothing I would describe as particularly Lynchian about the movie there's a lot no. of so I've only, I've only seen the elephant man um but there are, there's a lot of things in the world which I feel like I can understand through osmosis and culture 
what makes something Lynchian is the opposite of that. I have no <laughs> fucking idea. As someone who doesn't have the first-hand experience, I don't know what the shit anyone's talking about. Something's a bit weird, I guess, is the yeah, closest I've got. Um, yeah. I, I went, like, while I would have appreciated the horror movie, if it would just gone a horror movie way, if it had just been a story about, like, two friends who were in different places in their lives and they just don't get along very well, um, but they're friends through, like, inertia and they just got to figure that out. There's plenty of dramas about that that, like, you can watch and I, like, Girlfriends you can watch. I like that. Uh, Lady Bird's kind of about that. I really like that movie. Like, you, those things exist. Um, the two things together, I just don't think they put them together in a way that was interesting to me at all. Like, I just thought it was kind of kind of cheesy and bad. Didn't like it very much, I'll be honest. I thought it was cheesy. Yes. Interesting. Yeah, no, I didn't think it was cheesy at all. I just didn't think it was a very good, like, for something that was like, this is a horror movie, it just wasn't very, like, I think the sympathies with the, like, the one uh, woman who just wanted to flirt with that banjo player, like, the movie spends too long with her, and I think she's just a miserable person. I'm like, this is not the character I'm rooting for. I'm rooting for the other lady. Um, But I don't know if the movie is. Hmm. Okay. Um, I also watched King Kong versus Godzilla, which I forgot to write down the details. Yo, of, but what a good time! I love it. It's a, it's, it's very silly and very. Uh, I think the action stuff is very cool. They drop King Kong from a helicopter on Godzilla, and that's sick. It's one of the worst movie depictions of King Kong I've ever seen. Well, yeah, <laughs> that's because it's a man in a suit and not like a stop motion thing, because that's not what they do. But yeah, everything about this movie was really funny and really fun, and I'm glad I watched it. Yeah. Is that everything for you, I think? Yes, that is everything for me. Okay. Um, Aside from the Black Panthers, like, but I, I thought you were going to talk about it, so I wasn't going to say anything. I don't know if I am. Uh, Varda's Black Panthers is really good. It's just like half an hour of interviews and footage of uh, Black Panther protests around... Uh, Huey Newton's Huey Newton. imprisonment, yeah, um, before his trial, um, and it's good, uh, you know, just like a clear-eyed, like this is what these people are about. This is how they organize. This is what they want. Um, you watch it, and you go, man, fucking nothing's changed in sixty years. Um, we we yeah. we still fight this fight. It depressed the shit out of me, but it was um, a really cool like time capsule piece. Fair enough. Uh, I watched Le Bonheur, which is the uh, Varda film uh, from 65. This movie, so Le Bonheur means happiness. And this movie's fucking weird. Do you mind if I just tell you what happens in this movie? I don't mind. I don't mind. What, okay. what is the movie, first of all? So this movie's about like this couple. It's like a guy and his wife. It's played by a uh, real life actor. What's his name? Um, let me go to the movie. Why is, why is Letterboxd like this? um jean-claude drouot and his wife and his the actual their actual children are like main characters in this and they like it's like a fucking like prozac ad they just like are in this summer cottage and they just like traipse through fields having picnics and they're like their kids just nap while they like kiss under a tree and it, it's the sunflowers all like you know a huge field that they they romp through and they're having a great time or whatever and um and it's just like it's like and they just laugh and it like it like feels like ridiculous knowing on anything about Ani Zvarda's other films. Uh, you just I'm like, what is this melodramatic whatever? Um, and it turns out the main guy um, also has like a side piece and she's like the other woman and and uh, he hangs out with her and she really wants to get with him and he's like, no, I'm I'm all my wife's hat like I love my wife, I love my kids. Like you just got to be content with this. This is what we're doing. It's fine. Um, 
And she's like, okay, I'll accept that. And then they're, they're very happy. He's just like, I'm overflowing with happiness. Everything in my life is perfect. How, like, what could possibly go wrong? Um, and then throughout, the, like, this happens in the course of the movie. He tells his wife that he's having an affair. And he, he explains, he's like, it's not that I don't love you. I love you. I think I'm perfectly happy with you. I just have all this love to give that I could fill in any, like, overflow. And I love this woman as much, too. It makes me happy to be with her. It doesn't change anything about you. And I want you to just accept that. And she, like, chews on it for a little bit. And uh, she's like, okay. And she seems kind of hesitant. But she's, like, nebulously, it's like, okay. I guess I'll accept that. As long as you still love me and you still want to be this family or whatever. Just, like... Per, everything going perfect for him they fall asleep uh, like under a tree and their picnic whatever they're making out they, they, they he wakes up can i and- just say before you go on i the amount that i am waiting for a butt here has been like the 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 char has been rising for the last 90 seconds <laughs> to now comical degrees that i'm expecting like an asteroid to fall on his head so so here's the thing he wakes up and so the whole the whole movie's like oversaturated, just like summer colors, like bright oranges and yellows, or whatever. He makes up, and it's just like the flattest, like real lighting, like the sky is kind of like a slate blue, like you'd get on a normal summer day, and all the colors are turned back down. And while he has slept, she went to the water's edge, and either she fell into the lake or drowned herself. It's not clear, but she's <laughs> fucking dead. And he wakes up and he's like cradling her body. He's like, no, everything I loved is gone. Um <laughs> And he's, and he's dealing with that. Um, everyone's very nice to him. It's like, oh, I can't believe it. And then he goes to he goes to the woman that he was like his side piece or whatever. And he's like, oh, well, at least I have you and together we can be happy. And then like an inordinate amount of time later, whatever, doesn't say uh, she just moves in, takes over from the wife. The colors come back up and she's the new mom. The kids love her. He loves her. They romp through the fields. They have picnics. They fall asleep under a tree and love each other very much. The fucking end. What? So the moral the moral is if you have a backup wife, it's the moral fine. is is this is what marriage is. <laughs> just interchangeable wives. Just like women getting disposed of by men who don't understand that they can crush them by saying, I have just so much love to give. I can I can love this other woman too. Don't worry about it, baby. I'm I'm yours. <laughs> Damn. Uh, it, it was really good. It's like a lot. And because it's played so like it is not winking about any of this just like lays this out uh just ends up feeling like you're like just in this pressure cooker and you're like you're waiting for like the the thing but then the thing happens in the movie carries on like it never happened because to him it doesn't matter right like he has a dead wife that just adds to his happiness that he found someone in his widow or like widowerhood uh to come and raise his kids <laughs> it's just all it's all good to him uh oh fucking incredible. Ma- god that's <laughs> Uh, most contentable man. Just, just, <laughs> no, no, really he didn't even do anything. Didn't even do anything. Yeah, because nope. that's what it is to be in that position, I guess. Nope. Um, I watched Magnum Force, the second <laughs> Harry movie. Yeah, I, I have not. I'm not bring. I've watched all of them, but you're going through them too. So I'll, yeah. I'll you... Um, which is a fucking terrible film. I will say yes, for the record. Correct. Um, it's like everyone watching Dirty Harry realized that they made a movie about how it's cool when the police just extrajudiciously start killing people. And they're like, well, okay, wait a second. When Clint Eastwood does it, it's okay. But when everyone else, because like the villains are four young cops who decide to take Harry, uh, Harry Callahan's like ethos and do it themselves and start killing criminals who get out, like get away with their crimes. But the movie plays it as like bad. There's a bit where uh, Harry's new like chief of police guy is Hal Holbrook just he just has one single tone of like sneering condescension that he keeps the entire film doesn't break once it's kind of incredible how little like acting he's doing in this <laughs> um, but there's a bit where he's like 
how Holbrook, who turns out to be the villain, whatever, uh, is like, you know, this is this is the new this is the new world. Like we can't trust everyone's got money. Everyone can hire a lawyer. We can't trust the law. We have to make justice happen. And he's like, this is the system we got. And until we want to go and change it like good blooded Americans, we have to respect it. Sometimes it just fails. Uh, Harry Callahan who shot a man and threw his badge into the like lake at the end of the first movie because a guy got away with it. <laughs> incredible um, i just don't understand the, the chorus reversal just makes the whole thing explode it's it's a bad film but kind of funny you are leaving out the part where spoilers for magnum force he is declaring this while secretly leaving a bomb in um, <laughs> he, is, he is secretly leaving a bomb in the car to blow up how holbrook at the, end the, of the car <laughs> which then how holbrook reverses away and it blows up yeah. And he's like, well, I guess that problem took care of themselves by killing the criminals. Uh, and um, let's not think about this ever again. It's not a very good film. It's worth it for like an incredible gag where a woman gets shot out of a window and the, the <laughs> dummy like hits like the balcony on the way down. It's like a penthouse apartment. <laughs> just just a great bit. Uh, good gag. Um, and then there's a bit in here uh, where there's like a shooting competition. I only mention this because listeners probably listen to like Beach House and Great Gundam Project or whatever. The bit in Pat Labor, the movie, one of the best movies I've ever seen, where uh, Kanika Clancy comes into Japan and the guy the guy at the airport is like, uh, business or pleasure, ma'am? And she responds, combat, is a lift from fucking Magnum Force. <laughs> yes. Um where there's a bit where they ask him what he wants, like they got like a choice between like this like uh, sudden death face off at this police competition, and he gets two options. I don't remember what the other one was, but it's something or combat, and he just like grimaces to Cameron and goes combat, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm losing my mind. Um, <laughs> that, that is so laser specific. Look, there has to be more people than just us who have watched Pat Labor like the combat line and then seen Magnum Force, but that's a very small amount of people yeah. to get owned by that specific thing. Yep, yep, yep. And then this morning before we recorded, I watched Sabotage, the uh, 1936 uh, Halford Hitchcock movie, because there's a bunch of Hitchcock. Could you stand it? What? Nothing. Don't worry about it. <laughs> what? <laughs> don't worry about it. No, no, explain yourself. <laughs> Doing a Beastie Boys bit. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, which uh, is maybe most immortalized by the, the bit about the kid can't bring nitrite film onto the bus that's in... Inglorious Bastards to talk about why nitrate film is dangerous and very flammable. Um, and uh, this is the one about like this woman lives in this, this house, like above a cinema that she runs with her husband or whatever. And he's a European. This is London. This is when he's still like making British films and they run a theater and he's part of a terrorist group of Europeans who want like it opens with a blackout that they cause they like sabotage the power station cause a blackout and it's not enough everyone just kind of like partied for one night and then they fixed the machines and the power went back on and like this time you gotta blow up something some building i don't remember um and so they do that or whatever but um they're just they're just europeans who want to blow up the british government and we don't know why this is kind of like uh, last time I talked about Pickup on South Street, which had a bunch of communist agitators, but just like cartoonish villains who want to like destabilize the world. But no one actually talks about what they want or why, uh, because the minute you're like, oh, some Europeans want to blow up a London government buildings. I'm like, yeah, I, I support them. Let's <laughs> hit them out and clap for the troops. <laughs> um, oh, the British government, the most sympathetic of institutions, both today and in the 1960s yes. or 50s, whenever this is being um, made. This is 36. Uh, oh 36 yeah. down <laughs> yeah um sabotage is, is a great movie it i think it's where the anecdote comes from where uh hitchcock's like uh 
you know, uh, like a, a, a thriller is a movie where you show someone the bomb and then they like the characters don't know about it. And famously, like the last third is like this kid's like been ordered to take a bomb somewhere and he's got it with him, but he keeps running late. And because he's a kid and doesn't know there's a bomb and you know, it's going to go off. You're like, I hope it doesn't blow up the kid. It blows up the kid. Um, spoilers, I guess. Wait, he gets 20 minutes out of will this bomb blow up the kid? And the answer is yes. Yeah, the answer is yes. And big pause wow. the movie. Yeah. Um, but it, it's good. Um, you know, it's like 77 minutes long. You can't go wrong with that. Um, I, I had seen this before because I wasn't sure. I was looking through these and I, back when I wrote about movies, I had done, I was doing a Hitchcock project when I burnt out on writing about this is like 2013 or whatever. Um, and I'd gotten kind of to the end of his British period right before he goes to Hollywood, but I don't remember where that had ended. And I was like, had I seen this one before? I loaded up. I was like, oh, I'd seen this one before, but I was like, I'll watch it again. Um, and uh, it's good. Uh, highly recommend it. Um, after that, I'm not sure how many more after these I had seen. Um, other th- like I've seen like the birds and Vertigo. You know, I've seen like the big ones, but not everything. That man made a lot of fucking movies. Too many. Yeah. Um, you could just make a ton of movies as a director back in the day. Cause especially like when he's working silence, you know, you make a, you make a movie every couple weeks, like every three months you're cranking on a film, probably fast than that for people who are like actually fast in like a studio system. Um, it's how it used to be. Yeah. So he's like a guy who, by the time Hollywood discovered him, he made like 25 movies. Like there's a reason he was good at what he was doing and like differently. Like, I don't really like psycho, but I really like, like we watch rope. I really liked rope. Um, it's not like the things he were doing is different between those two movies just some hit and some don't as like to taste but like he knew what the fuck he was doing by then because he made a lot of them no one gets to make 25 movies before they figured it out now (laughs) no no one gets to make 25 movies full stop yeah basically yeah that's like a that's a long career is 25 movies at this point yeah that's it i watched a bunch of movies but those are the ones i want to talk about Watch Dracula's Daughter, the, the sequel to Dracula. Doesn't have anyone other than the guy who played Van Helsing from Dracula in it, um, which isn't even the guy I care about because Spanish Dracula is better than real Dracula. I don't know why you'd watch English Dracula other than to say you've done it. Um, but uh, that's that's fun. Um, it's not like great, but you can watch it. It comes usually in any box you buy of the Universal films. That's how I have it. So, oh, the classic experience of buying a Hitchcock box set and seeing how many fucking films on there and being like, I'm not watching all of these. I will watch all of them. Yeah. I would love to have seen every Hitchcock at some point. I've seen, I've gotten through all the hard work. I've watched all the like silence that aren't very good. I guess if you've already done the like first bit, yeah. uh, then, then you're mostly uh, through. Yeah. And I got to watch like frenzy and topaz and shit that like seems interesting, but I've just never gotten to it. The man yeah. who knew too little remake or whatever too much. Which one's the comedy? Which one's the real one? Don't ask me. The man who knew too much is the... Okay. That sounds right. <laughs> the Man Who Knew Too Little is like the parody, right? I believe so. Okay. Anyway, let's get into our movie this week. We are watching Peeping, Peeping Tom, uh, written by Leo Marx, directed by Michael Powell. This came out in 1960. Uh, it is a British film. Uh, Jackson, as I ask you every time, but as a resident British person, could you please explain what happens to Peeping Tom? <laughs> sure. Uh, Peeping Peeping Tom is a movie about a guy with a name that I've forgotten. Carl. Uh, Mark. No, Carl. Wait. Oh, sorry. That's the the actor. Mark. Yes, Mark. (laughs) Mark. I was right. Yes. About Mark, um, who is played by Carl. Yes. Um, (laughs) 
who is a man who is a serial killer going around killing guys while, as far as we know, filming them. Uh, we see through his camera and they react with fear as they are killed. And that is the perspective of the murder we have. Um, two plot lines run throughout the movie. One uh, in the background is the detectives trying to figure out what the hell these murders have to do with each other and uh, who could be committing them. The other is following uh, Mark himself, uh, who uh, films basically everything. Uh, he is a socially awkward man who uses his camera as his form of remove and defense. Uh, he gives us his childhood backstory of being this like perfectly observed child where every room was wired up for camera and sound. Uh, so his biologist, uh, psychiatrist, for, I don't know whether... I, weird guinea pig father right like weird psychological experiments that he's doing uh and he's like testing his reactions for fear um and just like torturing him to see how a child would react to fear uh and through this childhood has developed a need uh to um see fear of his own and thus is doing these uh serial killer things just murdering a bunch of women um he murders like three through the course of this movie uh while he is growing closer to another woman who is the woman who lives downstairs um uh called helen and as he the, the police start closing in on him he glows, grows closer to helen and refuses to film her refuses to let her uh see what's happening and it's like i don't want to like kill you i'm compelled to do these murders i mustn't kill you you're you're precious to me uh as the cops are coming in he reveals uh his final plan and how he knew this was all going to end this way uh and shows that what he's been doing the way he's been killing them is by with a camera well we've seen the camera with the with the um knife on it before but the thing he reveals is he attaches a mirror to the camera so they look they have to see their own reaction as they die uh, and see the face of death itself. Uh, and he walks into a contraption he's made with like perfectly timed cameras, sets the mirror up and runs into the knife himself, uh, dying as the police uh, come into the room. Helen herself is very traumatized about the information she has learned in the last 15 minutes. And now Mark is dead. Uh, and that's the end. There's like bits I left out. I left out her blind mum and the stuff that goes on there. But that's basically the plot. It's kind of very, very simple uh, slasher movie, I guess, um, in its in its form. Uh, even though it's before that thing. Really I mean, this is this is off. widely considered to be the first slasher film. Okay, um, but it it is mostly just about the interior life of Mark, uh, the conversations he's having with these various women. Um, the now very very cliche like portrayal of serial killer as shy socially awkward man uh but dumb with a level of earnestness uh, that's like oh this is clearly like the thing this movie's interested before it was like a real trope yeah there's like three there's like three points in history i want to talk about with regards to this movie and that's like the middle one because we'll talk about psycho a bit um but the first one um Carl Heinz Bohm, who plays Mark Lewis, is just doing a Peter Laurie impression this entire movie. Yes. And it's fucking wild. Does he not also sound like that? He is also He Austrian. probably just sounds like that. But, like, I look at this and I'm like, you know, in 1960, it's very possible that you just couldn't see M and never heard about the movie M. But he's just kind of doing that character again. Like, less obviously menacing. But, like, it's not not that, right? Like, in terms yes. of, like, the way he acts. <laughs> It is very similar to M. Yeah. Which I'm sure Powell's seen M, right? Like, 
I mean, it's clearly a touchstone. That's like yeah. another movie about guy among us who is doing sicko murders. The thing, the thing that, yeah. that makes me think about is like for all of film history, basically, you just couldn't see a lot of movies that existed. It's like a thing yes. I think about a lot when I'm watching like the six Godzilla movie, and I'm like, what is the purpose here? The answer is you can't see Godzilla's one through five. They just don't show them. You gotta go see the new one because they made a new one. Um, and like sometimes like old stuff would get shown, but for the most part, if you're going to the cinema every week, you're just going to see what's new because like there's no home video, right? It doesn't exist. They're not showing movies, not even showing movies on television when television happened because there was like a huge war between TV and movies. Um, the ability to like choose the movies you see is something that is like, you know, happened within our lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is just like weird to think about because it's so normalized to me because mm-hmm. I'm, you know, every time someone's talking about the new hot movie, I'm like, why would I go to a theater and risk COVID or whatever? When like, I can watch every movie at home. I've got like 8 billion movies to watch. I can watch a new movie every day for the rest of my life and not run and out never of things out. I want to see. Yes. Yeah. I have all movies ever because I have my internet. I have the computer yeah. uh, thing that didn't exist. Yeah. Just wasn't a thing. No way to watch stuff. Uh I think a lot of, in the 60s with television, a lot of old movies were getting a lot of, like, uh, like, replay value because that was the thing they would show, like, late at night is a lot of old movies. I don't even, I don't think that was the 60s. I feel like that's more of, like, a 70s, 80s thing. Well, like, that's where a lot of stuff gets rediscovered. Yes, absolutely. what I was getting at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, it's, it's, it's not, like, a thing for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, can't not talk about this as a psycho, which is, um, you know, maybe Hitchcock's most famous movie. Me and Jackson avowed haters of psycho. I think destiny, you like it more, right? Than us. I like it, but I saw it very young and I yes. think that has a lot to do with it. Um, yeah. my, I, I think our similar psycho opinion is if the movie that the psycho is for the first 20 minutes was the whole movie, it'd be a way better well, film. Yeah, but also I can't dis- disentangle that with the idea that like, I'd seen every shot of Psycho basically referenced before multiple times other than those first 20 minutes. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yes. So it's hard to not look at it and be like, well, that's just because the rest of it's dead to culture to me. But I'd never heard about the part where she's stealing money and on the run. That part's great. Make a movie about that, please. (laughs) I guess Psycho is... I guess Psycho is kind of like if... Uh, everyone on Earth, for some unknown reason, had seen 12 million parodies of specifically the last half of From Dust Till Dawn. <laughs> <laughs> but not the part where they're like no, bank robbers. No, didn't know in a George Clooney home. was in it. Yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> if, you, if no one knew that From Dust Till Dawn was like a Tarantino script and a Robert Rodriguez movie, but did know it was about vampires, this is, I guess, the psycho cultural experience. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, like, Psycho is one of those weird movies where, like, all this stuff happens and, you know, creepy if you like it and ridiculous if you don't. But the the end of that movie has the bit where the, the psychologist comes in and goes, this is the, the whole thing with Norman Bates' psychology and that's why we have to sympathize with the monster because, like, these are the things that happened that made him who he was. Um, the thing that I really like about Peeping Tom is that stuff is laid out by Mark as, like... Just this is what my childhood was. He's not even saying it's like an excuse because he's trying to just like woo this lady. Like they're, he's, not, he's just talking to her because she's expressed interest in him. She's like, oh, who's this weird man who lives upstairs and actually owns the building, even though he doesn't pretend like he pretends he's just a tenant. And um, as he explains what he's about, she she's like, this is a horrible child. He's like, oh, I didn't know. This is just what I grew up with. Like he's just explaining what his life was like and who he is, um, which gives you so much space to like sympathize with him, even though you know that, you know, he's going out and killing women and that's like a bad thing. But it's the two things are not often like offered 
as explicitly as like this is the thing that explains all of his psychosis um even though it like is doing that it's not what all the scenes are about um in the same way and i really mm-hmm. appreciate that about it yes we don't have someone literally like draw a diagram and say, yes. this is how psychology works and how killers yeah. are made <laughs> There's even a bit where he he's interviewed by a psychiatrist when they're doing like at the movie studio, like they find one of the bodies and they interview everyone. And there's a psychiatrist like, oh, I know the work of your father. Like, oh, like psychiatry itself is built on people doing horrible experiments to people and animals in its history. Right. Like the part where like these horrible things that happen to him are not seen as horrible by people who are being brought in to like do the crime, like solve the crimes that he's committing is like an interesting friction that you don't normally see in works like this, especially of this era. Yes. Like the entire joke with that character is he doesn't realize that he's like, cause he goes up to him and creepily asks him, can you fix me? Um, and the psychiatrist doesn't even see it. He's like, Oh yeah, I love your father. Can I have you borrow the books? Yeah. Um, you have your father's eyes. And has no conception of the, the like what's happening here. So it like it, it even uh, distances itself from the idea of science as a solution to this because science itself is just the actions of men who have hurt a bunch of people. Yeah, which that's the thing. I'm like, damn, on it. <laughs> well before yes. it's time. Um, Way before. And then the other thing that I, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up is the book Red Dragon and the movie Manhunter. And it's other adaptations, the Red Dragon film, uh, the season of uh, Han- season three of Hannibal, which does some of this stuff. Um, this movie's all of the stuff with the Red Dragon guy, um, Francis Dollarhide, the like killer in Red Dragon, the book, is just this movie. <laughs> I guess you could release that, as you say, in a world where you. How would you see Peeping Tom? When does Red Dragon come out? Like mid eighties. I mean, it'd be on TV, but like the audience for a like airport Would... thriller book is not watching movies from the sixties, probably. Or if Peeping Tom are, it was matter, like fucking right? banned. Peeping Tom was extremely banned for a while. That was not on TV. Oh, yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Um, Eighty one. Yeah. So you could just write a character who is ripped out of Peeping Tom, and nobody would know. No one would know. Yeah. If you don't know, the killer in that is a serial killer who works at a like home movie development lab and he goes out and he he uses the home movies to pick his victims then goes out and films them with like uh infrared like like nighttime stock and then makes the videos to watch as he's like doing this like psychological transformation into the red dragon of the william blake uh painting um that's the plot of that side plot it's not actually the all the interesting stuff about the story is the the other stuff about the guy who goes to catch him not any of that but like (laughs) yes he, he also has a woman who works in the 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 photo lab who's a blind woman and thus because she can't see what he's doing he can like put on the films and they're together and it's it, like he has like this attachment he's like i don't want to film you i think you're the one i'm going to save because you're the one who's going to save me stuff that's like in this movie has two separate characters the mom who is blind and the girl who desperately wants him to be okay and like he he's like i can't film you because then i'd have to take you with the camera and i don't want to do that um just wild to see <laughs> mm-hmm uh, also, 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 this is just an aside. The part where Helen comes in and it's like, I brought you some cake or whatever, is just the girl down the hallway in Spider Man 2 when Peter Parker's living in that shithole apartment and the girl with the pigtails is trying to be nice to him. <laughs> I like lost my mind. <laughs> he is dating the girl from Spider Man 2. Essentially. Which, that one is probably much more just a fun reference because that's who Sam Raimi is and not like we're going to lift this because, you know, Sam Raimi's a guy who will constantly rip off anything that he can get a hold of. That's why his movies are good. Um, Yes. And I'm not saying like the Red Dragon one is bad. It's just interesting to see like I knew this movie was influential, but just seeing it throughout history is fun to me. Yeah, it's really Absolutely. cool. 
Um, but yeah, I thought this movie was really good. I was really surprised. Um, one, it looks fantastic. I have an article that I'll link uh, about the, uh, it's an Eastman color and not Technicolor. Specifically, uh, this article is from the Eastman color blog or EastmanColor.info. I don't know if it's run by Eastman color people, but um, it is about the way in which like Technicolor was like huge bulky cameras and they'd have like an onset advisor that would come and make sure you're using the color right so it looked good and didn't hurt the, them selling the technology and then eastman color came along and was like ours isn't as good but you can do what the fuck you want with it i don't care and the cameras are easy everyone can use them um and it proliferated like color cinema to people who wouldn't normally get to use it which caused like a moral panic of oh people are going to use this for blood and sex and then this movie and comes they out sure and, did and it is a movie about <laughs> blood and sex <laughs> Like kind of the the idea of this movie would be a moral panic. Uh, this is like hilarious watching it. I mean, this is like you know, the '60s hit hard. Is the thing <laughs> by the end of the I decade, would... nobody gives a shit. But at the, in 1960, this movie's a lot. Like even if it, you're not like just the like the ideas that are happening on the screen, the way in which like the long con where that lady's just dancing around and he's just waiting for the right time to stab her, um, the way the body's revealed and the woman faints, the end where he runs himself through and like blood is like they don't you don't show the spray, but the back wall where he's like about to die is just covered in blood spray. It's pretty good. <laughs> it's pretty good. <laughs> It puts me um, in the mind of, like, three years later, you get uh, Gordon Herschel Lewis's Blood Feast, which is I need just to watch like, that. we're going to show everything. Yeah. <laughs> just full gore, full nudity, and, and that's an Eastman color film. Yeah. And I think, like, that's the fear. They're, they're like, afraid the, the Gordon Herschel Lewis's of the world are going to get the, the color film, and they certainly did, if you look at the history of, like, exploitative uh excuse me exploitation film and like the nudie cuties and whatnot yeah and this is coming from like like this movie is like a moral panic because it's coming from like a director of note right like Mm -hmm. prestige he did yeah narcissist he did you know colonel blimp uh i assume the thing with um this movie also is like i guess there is um some some blood and some death in the like spread there's like a, the there's movie, like but... sex workers in this movie that are just like presented yeah. as like people who it yes. sucks that he he murders them right but they like they, when he goes to talk to that lady and take pictures she's like you're late I, I got things to do come on it's just like very normal like normalized sex work in a way i guess that is shocking to some people is this yes. portrayal of like sex work not as any just it's a job right like yes. he comes in he works with them and he takes pictures in a very realistic way for how uh that works but i I was assuming like the moral panic is also the fact that it's a movie about a like a sympathetic guy who is nice and has a bad time who is also committing murders yeah like that is the the big thing right Mm -hmm. like you're with him the whole time and it's like ooh, yeah there's no moralizing the head of the killer yeah there's no like the cops show up at the very end to be like oh we got him but like they're not characters in the like way that this fiction often depicts right there's no like there's no like good crusader who's on the case if anything, the cops are there to like realize like, before they realize who it is when they discover that last girl he murders. There's a scene of that one cop being like, "It's not him. He just went and got some pictures. He's a yes. weirdo. He's not doing murders." Yeah. Um. um but yeah, I'll, I'll link this article, and uh, this movie just looks fucking fantastic. This is one of the best looking movies I've ever seen. The color is so good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like full on. Um, tokyo drifter levels of we're doing this to like it it's not like the color overwhelms the movie no 
But um, I, these like early color movies, and I know 60s like late for color, but like, you know, not every director went to color immediately because it, it changes the entire process and was difficult. But like everything is so like designed around we are shooting this in color. So every part of the set is like chosen for its color palette is just mm-hmm. really good. Like the stuffiness of all of the rooms in the lodge versus like the movie studios, which are very bright and boisterous versus like the redness of his like dark room that is always like either like black or red is just really good. Uh, the ones the, that incredible scene in the middle where he's like having that girl dance before he kills her. Yes. That just goes on. It goes on for so long and he's like trying to find out how like you can you see his process in full right as he tries to work out how best to do this murder Mm -hmm. uh and it starts out with this amazing shot of her she comes in all the lights turn on one by one and then like the lights hit on him from underneath as he's coming down the riser yeah uh and it's like damn movies had color and lighting in the 60s (laughs) yeah people cared and did a very good job putting it on the screen you're like man this is incredible um i i love that like i think that's my favorite scene in the movie because it goes on forever and she like goes through these periods of like she thinks something's wrong and then she blows it off and she does a dance then he gets kind of annoyed and then he like scares her a bit and then she laughs it off and thinks something's like it's fine again but then like it just like keeps like ratcheting up to where he like she's actually terrified and then he stabs her and it's it's it doesn't even like really show that part is because all of the work has already been done um it's really Mm -hmm. good um and then you see a lot of like him filming because he's using like a little hand cranked black and white camera and all the stuff from his perspective is really good where you just see like the target over people. And there's a bit early on where he films like the first body that's discovered. And there's like a guy who's like walking up to him like, hey, why are you like he's going to question why he's filming? But he doesn't it seems like he doesn't even notice he's so fixated because the guy like is coming at him, but it's like kind of to the left of the focus of the frame. And he doesn't move one bit until the guy actually talks to him where like he didn't even notice that guy was coming. That's how like focused he is when he's filming something. And it's really good as like a character beat yeah uh the the guy actually asked him like what paper he's from yes what paper he's from and then he lies and the guy doesn't care he's like oh okay <laughs> well he actually it's come one of the worst lines in the movie he's like oh, i'm from the observer and i'm like yes thank you <laughs> what is, i don't know what that yeah. means that's that's a that's, that's a, a paper. paper it's a re- it's a real paper but it is also called the observer oh right like, yes right right of course <laughs> yes thank you i'm already there i thought uh, you meant like the- some british uh, context i wasn't understanding <laughs> No, I mean, the, yes, the Real Observer is a real paper in Britain. Yes. Yeah, no, no, uh, I, that, but... that I accept. I just uh, missed the part. I, I didn't even notice the part where he, I am the Observer. <laughs> I was like, already shake my head. Like, oh, is the movie going to be corny and bad? And then it wasn't. It was a very funny line. Um, but the thing about that is that, like, in a way that's very prescient is filming something is not it makes you both conspicuous and invisible in that it is a very noticeable thing to do but everyone will assume you're doing it for a purpose it's the it's the like um the like safety jacket thing we're yes, like it absolutely the safety yeah, jacket thing yeah people people who are like doing cons or stealing something or like doing murders are like yeah you just wear a hard hat or a safety vest and everyone just lets you go they think you're supposed to be there <laughs> Yeah, um, it's a really good version of that. It's like you wouldn't have a camera if you weren't having it for like a reason. Yes. So no one would like assume anything untoward of you. Yes. Um, which has obviously changed in the last uh, fifty years of everyone having cameras. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in that it's definitely more invasive, but I do think that the, like 
the uh the basic element of this does hold true and yes. if you you saw someone with a camera especially if it was like the equivalent of this camera like if you see someone with your phone their phone filming you you will probably think what the fuck are they filming me for if you saw someone with a tv camera filming you you would not <laughs> yeah um yeah and i that production difference is important here like it, it is hard work to have a film camera in 1960 yeah the other thing that's uh interesting about this is so much of the movie is about like the way in which the production of film itself like puts people in danger like mm. like the the woman is taking like like softcore like lingerie photos or whatever she has to meet photographers get photos taken if they're gonna get sold they're both gonna get paid but like there's risks involved in that because like you can't you know there's no protections for sex workers uh in the 60s or today um that woman yes. who comes into film with him is like a like a stand-in, like a background character or whatever. And she just wants a shot. So she's willing to come on set after hours and film on the sets when no one's using them and not get caught. Like she's worried about them being discovered and getting in trouble, but she's like agreed to do this thing, put her life in jeopardy because like her career in jeopardy if she gets found out and then her life in jeopardy, if she's unknowing about this, but like, because she wants a shot at being the person in front of the camera who is like the, in this movie is like an actress who keeps getting yelled at because she keeps fainting at random parts where everyone's like, this isn't the time to faint. Stop it. Um, and uh, just being difficult to work with on set. And the idea that, like, film is, like, everyone hustling and taking big risks so they can be the person who is exploited the most in front of the camera by the machine that does this all but is, like, the, the authority to do it is good. Um, I like that stuff quite a bit. Uh, it's really smart about that stuff because it's very easy in with there being decades of this to have a movie that's, like, when you watch the cinema, you're basically making the actors do this for you. It's like a thing, you know, there's the, um, Oh yeah. Rear, eight millimeter rear window. Exists. Right. Eight millimeter exists. <laughs> rear window exists. There's, there's the whole list of films that are about voyeurism from this very simplistic perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and this just like rejects that at every point. Uh, and it's far more about film as like an object that it like a chemical object that exists and has been made by people and is in, employed in certain ways to produce worldviews of those with the ability to like make it right like the sex workers themselves do not possess cameras they cannot tell their narrative they have to get people in from this place with this money and this equipment mm-hmm. um and the the uh, studio is just an extension of that when it comes yeah. to there um yeah, that's just all really good. And it'd be very easy to be like really preachy about it. The movie plays that stuff really like light and is mostly about this woman who wants to love this man who just happens to be a murderer and how sad that is. And her mom knows something's wrong, but not enough to put it together. Yeah, uh, Helen's oblivious and it's very funny because there are red flags ahoy with Mark and she's just like, la la la, I just think he's intriguing. I mean, the thing is like all of Helen, all the other men in her life are just like, the most like stuffed shirt guys possible. So I understand why she looks at this weirdo who just develops films like, well, you know, he might be weird, but like at least he's not one of these guys. At least he's not a solicitor or something, right? Like <laughs> <laughs> that's how I feel. <laughs> uh but that stuff's all very good. Um I like this a lot. It's a good movie. Classic film. Do you have anything else? We have some questions, so you can move on to questions. All right. If you want to send questions, you can send them to Abnormal Mapping Podcast, singular podcast there, at gmail.com. You can send them about anything. They don't have to be about what we're covering. I love general movie questions. Our first one from Rick is actually from last week, and or last yeah, last time, and I um 
didn't want us to do research, but I gave her one the prompt. Uh, what is your favorite film poster and what is your favorite trailer? Ooh. I would like the volunteer to go first. The thing about this is the answer is always like shitty trailers from 2002 because I was young enough to feel, find trailers really exciting. Well, let me let me tell you, my list is also not like a ton of great. Here's the thing. Posters, I feel like the 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 connection between movies I like and posters I like is like very like almost one to one. Not always. I have a couple examples. Like I have one that's like a movie I love and I think the poster's fucking hilariously bad. Um, trailers almost always, like are movies that i don't like but i really like the trailer because the trailer sells you the idea better than the movie ended up doing that's like my reaction to them always the trailer for when i was a kid and i didn't i didn't like horror movies obviously it's still true um well I, i'm scared by them i guess is more than not like them because like this is technically a horror movie i think it's fantastic yeah um but uh there was a trailer for famously kind of trashy uh uh horror movie final destination 2 um and but i hadn't seen the movie and i hadn't seen final destination one so this like short film essentially of guy in his apartment trying to get like a thing out from under the sink with the trash compactor might cut his hand off uh it was like it just got to me what if everything in your house was trying to kill you but it wasn't like acting out of reality it was just all calibrated to murder you uh was like a very powerful idea that stuck with me Uh, even though i know it's in the first movie like it's in the films but i had just seen this trailer so it was like it was a short film to me i guess yeah um so i have i wrote i did some work i wrote down a list (laughs) hit me so best posters metropolis like the long one the like illustrated one incredible star trek the motion picture it's great all the rest of the star trek posters are bad that one's really good love it god the motion picture uh, the rainbow of the amazing three faces yeah the enterprise good (sighs) evil dead incredible poster for an incredible movie i feel like it sells a different movie than you get with evil dead but it's good like the the hand coming out to grab ash as he's reaching up or whatever it's great um one i have that i think the poster is good and the movie's bad is the original friday the 13th which is like the form of a figure um with like the illustration of the camp in the in the silhouette of the figure and then like black uh is is much cooler than the actual movie friday the 13th which i think all of those are kind of bad more or less some are better than others but you know um and then <laughs> a poster that i i like because it's bad for a movie that i absolutely love is double indemnity which is the two leads like holding each other and then there's just the head of edward g robinson there looking at them that's the fucking poster <laughs> i don't know why it's like this why did you fuck up your poster like this Lo- great great movie one of my favorites the poster's fucking terrible um I did like a back when I was drawing more. I did like a, a goof on this for our um, episode where we Green covered Fandango. Uh, Fandango. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then for my trailers list, best trailers are basically movies I would not sign off on. Minus one and a half, I guess. Um, first one with a bullet. The one I didn't even have to think about to get is Beyond the Black Rainbow. A great trailer for a movie that fucking sucks. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah talk about a snooze fest. But that trailer is great. Um, second one, the girl with Need the dragon tattoo. Need for the movie. Uh, girl with the dragon tattoo is not a good movie um the, the the trailer that had the song which also opens the movie the movie has a great opening credit sequence but the the, the trailer is like intercut with the song and it has like the feel bad christmas movie of the year or whatever like intercut titles is just good and funny i fucking hate girl dragon tattoo both versions bad um then i had um the spider-man twin towers promo video <laughs> 
Oh, that one is pretty good. That one is really good. They took it down, obviously, because 9-11 happened. But it's it's weird <laughs> they, because, they really like... did take it down. Let's be clear about this. <laughs> <laughs> um, God damn it. Uh, the, the way it's shot, like, it was not shot to be part of the movie. It was never part of the movie and cut out. It was just, like, a thing. The way it's shot feel like spider-man to me feels like a modern movie this promo feels like a 90s film it like feels like like between this promo being made and the movie coming out and maybe it's just like the way the film was like the way they finished the film in terms of like color grading or whatever feels like the, the the threshold between 90s cinema and aught cinema was crossed somewhere in that production pipeline and i just think that's really neat <laughs> Um, and then the other one I, I, I thought of was Man of Steel, which is a movie I just rewatched uh, like last week, or whatever. Which you know has its problems. I liked it more than like the first time. But that for that trailer with the speech and the music is fucking yes. incredible. It's better it's than the movie so Man well of Steel. <laughs> I didn't uh, quite make a list, but Man of Steel would have been on it if I had made one. We shout out the Need for Speed movie trailer every week. Um, where he, but, yes, <laughs> where he has a prayer about battle, like combat, which is in the book, but not in the movie. Not in the movie. Yeah. So we know the context it would have been in, uh, but tragically, not the movie they made. Cut at some point in the development, but they must have filmed it because he sure gives that speech sure about that speech. how he is like an avenging angel yeah. in the Need for Speed movie, while a Choir of Angels plays and he's off to do some fucking street racing. Yes, <laughs> tragically, movie they made absolutely nothing like this. Yeah. Um, I don't watch a lot of trailers for old movies is the thing. I should go and do that. I'm sure I'd be surprised by some of them, but uh, it's one of those things that, like, I just don't have the, like, I'll watch a lot of special features, but I just kind of skip the trailers. I used to be the person who watched all those. I think of the way that the Lord of the Rings trailers, like the original one opened, like, in the lands of Middle-earth. <laughs> Legend tells of a ring. Like, every time we talk about Lord of the Rings. Oh, yeah, I, I definitely skewed more vintage because i really like watching like horror film compilation tra or horror film trailer compilations and things like that and a lot of those are just memorable because they try to put all the like most shocking footage from the film into the trailer uh uh so things that come to mind are like the exorcist with all the like it's a strobing effect with like reagan's face and like the demon face superimposed over her face and it's like super unsettling and um what was the other one? Oh, uh the trailer for alien is a really good one where like they lead up to revealing the like name of the movie with all the like abstract lines uh, cut with footage of the film and then it ends with like in space no one can hear you scream on the screen and it's very like it's very effective i love a good genre movie trailer but i think my favorite trailer genre is just when they play an entire song with <laughs> just with the movie footage i'm just still a sucker for that so i liked the uh i liked the Zack Snyder Justice League trailer. I liked his Watchmen trailer. Uh, he's not the only one that does these kinds of trailers, but they were the ones that came to mind. I want to rewatch Watchmen at some point and just see how I feel about it in the world where, like, I have much more appreciation for Zack Snyder's limitations and strengths than I did when that came out. 
I remember it being just a shrug of a movie. Like, I remember reading it and loving it, but the movie itself was just kind of a yawn. I think thinking about it now, I feel like he's a weird choice to do Watchmen specifically. I think he's a great choice for the super movie or hero movies he did after that, but I don't know why they thought he would be the guy to make Watchmen other than he's a visual guy and it was a comic book, but it's mm-hmm. the wrong book. It's the wrong book. I mean, no one could make Watchmen. I think there are people <laughs> who could do a better job of it. I agree. I, not in the same way of the, how normal people say that. I don't mean it's like unfilmable. I just don't think Hollywood's any good at what the story's about. That's fair. That is entirely like a thematic thing rather than a, oh, it's unfilmable. Uh, just, the people who are directing movies are not going to be able to uh, make the Watchmen I want, which I, I guess Alan Moore agrees. He went off to live in a house and never talked to anyone. Yeah, but, you know, fuck him. What? Why? Oh, he's guy went on to make all the weird, like, not quite pedo comics, but basically. Wait, really? Yeah. Do you do that oh, one about his... those, like, three girls? It's all, like, it's not quite that, but it's enough of that to make everyone very uncomfortable. Man, Alan Moore. Yeah. I wish he'd Alan less. <laughs> <laughs> Am I just, like, thinking of a different someone else? I don't want to talk shit about someone and it's not true. Um, Google it really quick. I'll talk about the House on Haunted Hill poster, which is really groovy. It's a skeleton standing somehow bigger than the castle, or excuse me, the house on Haunted Hill, and he's holding a lady by a noose, <laughs> and then just in the corner is uh, Vincent Price just holding a candle and a human head like it's nothing, and I don't think any of this, like, there are scenes like this in the movie, but I, I just like that it's just this uh, pastiche of uh 1960s scary imagery and and not actually things that happened in the movie it's really cool all right so alan moore's lost girls is about the sexually explicit adventures of three female fictional characters uh alice from alice in wonderland dorothy from wizard of oz and wendy from uh peter pan they meet as adults in 1930 and describe some of their erotic adventures with each other well the fuck alice What are you doing? Uh, especially with, like, Alice in Wonderland already being, like, a thing that is very, like, ooh, you know. There's already stuff with okay. Lewis Carroll and gross shit about sexualizing kids in real life, so. Yes, no, I know, but, okay, I didn't know that when I brought it up. I thought he was just, like, a grump who hated, um the comics industry which that is true uh, all of that is true that, that, that is that that is still true and i guess i agree with him on that part but not yeah. the the uh the other thing yeah um i haven't read it so i'm not going to so <laughs> well the more you know i really liked v for vendetta you know that's that's my thing from hell was all right mm-hmm. um anyway destiny do you have other things uh no that was it okay um did you have anything else jackson or did you um, no, there's, there's the the posters and movies I like. Okay. And trailers, I guess. I used to watch... I don't watch trailers anymore. I don't go back when I watch no, a movie. I don't actually... I specifically try to avoid trailers for films I'm actually interested in because I just want to watch them. I know, I, I know from who's in them uh, that I'm mostly like if I'm interested or who's making them like things that I'm really interested in. Everything else I'll just watch if the mood takes me. Yeah. And the other thing is that, like it's it's two ways. First of all, I can tell... These things are contradictory but true. I can both tell when a movie is going to be good usually but also a trailer makes every movie look bad 
So yeah. it's I like I understand those two things are literally the opposites, but they are true in different ways. Um, trailers make movies look bad. Like you look at a trailer and it's just like this could be any kind of fucking crime movie. But other times you watch a movie and you're like this is a waste of my time or this is just actors I want to see. Yep. Um, so yeah, I tend to just ignore them and go by recommendations and watch the movie. Uh, Hilver writes in, what's your favorite artifact of the filming process that gets captured on screen, e.g. lens flare? I like seeing camera shake on helicopter shots without stabilization. Which is a pretty good one. Me too! <laughs> um, I'm always a fan for when, like, special effects don't get erased, like you see, like, wires and stuff. Love that. Um, mm-hmm. Never get I love light. when there's a, what, when there's a uh, dummy falling down a skyscraper. I love when there's an obvious yes. dummy. I love when stunt people have bad wigs. Uh, oh, I love yes. obvious stunt person. Obvious stunt person is always a treat. Let um, me tell you, watching The Matrix Reloaded yesterday, the stunt person they got for Lawrence Fishburne does not have the same physique as 2002 <laughs> Lawrence Fishburne. Um, the one that like is just basically gone because it's not captured on like home video is uh, I miss the cigarette mark, the cigarette burns in movies. Um, me too. When they're sw- when they're swapping reels, like. I have a bad sense, especially when I'm in a theater, like it's more useful there, but like I have a bad sense of how long it's been in a movie, like often. And just like knowing, oh, it's been like, what is it, like 12 minutes, I think, for real? Like that that helps keep me like focused and steady. Um, I like that stuff. I miss it. Oh, I'm I like it. Way. I like it when sometimes the the it, real interchange is a little rough. Maybe they're working with the old print and it does like the, the audio crackles as it's swapping reels. You never get that on home video. <laughs> I was too young to like be cognizant of the switch happening around me mm-hmm. um though i do remember the first time i went to see a digital film it was um hellboy 2 <laughs> yeah mine was mine was uh grindhouse and i was like that wasn't really different i guess it was digital i didn't, I didn't oh know. I, I, I lost my goddamn mind i was like this is the future of cinema i was right but i was i was wrong about why that was good <laughs> um but i do remember like when i was young I you know would see from the, I would be like marks on the screen. I I didn't like now I understand cigarette bands of film, but like a thing went away before I had the language for it of the mm-hmm. visuals I was looking at in front of me, yeah. and I could tell, but I had no like way to process that till I was slightly older in high school. Yeah. Um, and it was just very strange yeah. as like a linguistic thing of like I know fundamentally the object that I'm perceiving is now radically different, but I have no I can't talk to anyone about that. I can't be like, why do the films look different now? Papa. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird because like I love like we I talked earlier, like you know, you watch a good Blu-ray restoration of a black and white movie, it's the greatest thing in the world. But like on some level, I fundamentally miss this print has seen its better days far beyond it and now it kind of sucks this one reel's fuzzy this one reel's scratched to shit this whole sequence just has like a line going down it on the left side and you just try not to worry about it too much i watched so many movies that way at like the rundown one screen uh like old theater that we no longer exists it's been rebranded to show new like independent cinema i haven't been since they rebuilt it or whatever i mean the thing happened so we're not going to the movies at all but um I just miss that experience. Even though I'm getting a better experience now, there is something to sitting down in a theater and watching a pretty, you're like, oh, this one's just fucked. Like, I guess I'm just going to watch this and the sound's terrible. And for some reason, this whole sequence is yellow because the print they got is bad, but the rest of it's not yellow. Um, I, I, yeah, uh, I didn't even get that much of it, but I nostalgic for it. It was fun. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That said, you put every movie out on Blu-ray and get a good restoration. Like, please, love God. Yeah, like we're not anti-technology, just, yes. you know. Um, Gary writes in, uh, just watch Rope. Gary's slowly working through our backlog. Uh, hey. Shout out to Gary. Uh, has anybody who claims to have done a perfect murder actually done a perfect murder? 
No, you yes, you whoever have... killed John Benet Ramsey. Well, that's the thing. I think to have done the perfect murder, you have to not talk about it. Like, oh. this is not... You don't. We don't know. We do not know. In fact, I would say multiple people have done the perfect murder, and no one knows who they are. Yeah, because they Definition. don't say they did the perfect murder, right? Like <laughs> yep. one precludes yeah. the other. And I mean, that's like the plot of a lot of these. Not rope specifically, but there is a you know a common plot point in all serial killer fiction is they are too arrogant. They need the recognition. Yes. Uh, Follow up question: What's your favorite movie murder gone farcically wrong? Gone farcically wrong. Oh, that's a good one. Ooh. I just thought of Fargo, where just like he's trying to get his wife kidnapped, and they just, there's just like everything goes wrong, and it, it's great. Um, the one that I, it's not actually like a murder, um, but I just think of uh, Tim Roth slowly dying over the course of Reservoir Dogs because um, he's been <laughs> shot and everyone's trying to like they drag him half up that ramp and then some drop him because something else happens and he spends like 30 minutes just on that ramp <laughs> bleeding to death um, <laughs> is very goofy <laughs> he sure does um, not a murder obviously but anytime it's about like th- th- we gotta get rid of this body and bodies are big and cumbersome and hard to dispose of I, I love that eat it up there's that um, scene uh, in Hitchcock's I believe it's called Torn Curtain where they're like trying to kill this spy and it just takes way too long like they stab him it doesn't work they put his head in the oven it doesn't work and it just like it's, God. it goes on forever in, it's so in, funny in sabotage a man gets stabbed with a knife in the stomach like just like maybe like six inches in which is like a, that's a serious injury but he just instantly kills over dead <laughs> and i once again <laughs> have to insist on movies you've given me weird expectations of what it is to be stabbed doesn't matter where you get hit you get stabbed once you're dead instantly it's like the most fatal thing that could happen to you other than getting shot in the head uh, oh that, to go back to him um, Tom, that's like one of the things that i like about the end of the movie is he's, he's built the ending up around this idea of he's going to like see his final death uh and he does, but then immediately like heals back and is just like dealing with the physicality of slowly dying from being stabbed. Yes, <laughs> um, because it, it just doesn't work that way. Yeah. Uh, our friend Maria writes in, uh, who is the reason I we I picked this movie because she was talking about that article that I posted, and I'm like, I've never actually seen this. I should get around to watching it. Uh, what do you make of the visual parallel drawn between Mrs. Stevens' cane and Mark's camera? Um, I like it, but I'm I, th- I think dumb. for me, it's like, it's weird. Cause like this ends up in like a weird metaphor about like her, just her being a blind person and disabled, but like they both use it as a way to like, yes, it gives them like social passage as like denoting them as different, but in a way that isn't going to like arouse like interest, right? Like a, a blind woman is just let mm-hmm. on her way. She gets a cane. He has the camera that one guy asks him, but he like easily brushes him off. No one minds that if he's filming. Cause he's like, Oh, I'm writing, making a documentary. And the police just let him film in an interrogation about an active murder investigation. They don't give a shit. Um, but it, they also both use it as like a form of like physical defense. And in his case, obviously like a weapon, but she branches her cane, like a weapon also, um, when she confronts him. Um, and that sounds really interesting. Like they use this as like their social passage, but also know how to use it both in, in like a defense and offensive ways to like handle themselves as they navigate a space they find threatening. Like she finds, like she finds Mark threatening. Mark finds the whole world threatening, seemingly. Um, and that sounds really good. Yep, for sure. 
uh tron writes in uh favorite looking shot or scene in the movie got anything to shout uh, out specifically that's that whole middle section of the With studio the big dance yes yeah mm-hmm. um what are your thoughts about this the- film and oh go ahead there's just a, there's a shot in the middle of that sequence where like one because it's being shot inside a movie studio they are simultaneously using like lights that you can't see but also the lights on the set that they are in yes. diegetically and the shot where she like spins one of the lights around yes. yeah it's really good. Uh, one of the spotlights and it's just incredible yeah um what are your thoughts about this movie in relation to other slasher films i think it's interesting that it doesn't uh follow the point of view killer doesn't seem to say that he's a force of nature or some abstract evil out there um tron specifically cites michael myers which i think like my thing is like there's plenty of slashers that are about just like guys and you got to get outside of like the big franchises but like you think a movie like henry porter was still a killer or uh cruising which i like a lot uh, it's that's a little problematic i know but it, it's a good movie um black christmas one of my favorites they're just like guys who like to murder <laughs> just normal people who some people just want to murder and some movies spend a little time explaining why some people don't some of them don't um but uh there's a whole like sub- those movies just don't get sequels so they kind of exist as like islands into themselves um whereas michael myers one the minute you make a second michael myers movie um you have to explain why this guy's back because he was shot <laughs> yes because i mean he's just a guy right in halloween the movie halloween yes. he is just a yeah guy. he's just a dude <laughs> he had murdered someone when he was a kid he was like locked up right and then he comes back inexplicably but look, did you mean the the act of sequelizing slasher movies is on some level turning the genre into something about unstoppable forces of nature that can't be stopped? Yes. But slasher movies themselves didn't like what you make. If you're just making one, that doesn't have to be true. Yeah. No. I mean, this is why, like, as much as I, I, you know, called it kind of bad uh, earlier on, like the first Friday Thirteenth movie is about this mystique already pre-existing and like it was like a 1980 movie but like it's about the idea that like everyone wants to build up a, a man who can't be killed who comes back and wrecks vengeance but like it's not it's just it's just his mom who has a fucked up sense of justice wants to hurt people yeah um and she fucking dies never comes back <laughs> nope um and then they fuck that up by bringing actual jason Voorhees back but whatever you know what are you gonna do eventually gets struck by lightning and becomes a a, a lich man and that's great so <laughs> you Friday the thirteenth is a ridiculous series. <laughs> yes. It is it sure is. It's it's not the best, but it's still fun to watch them through. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on this film being censored in Britain? I think it's funny. British film seems fucked up. And the only reason that the that this didn't happen in America is that the studio system just fucking rolled over and like worked hand in hand with the, the FBI for decades about like communists. That's the only reason this didn't happen over here. Yeah, like the the double whammy of the Hayes Code and McCarthyism just means that like the industry already self regulates in also, America as being also evil. What, what actually happened is we made all our movie stars politicians. Oh, you really uh, fucking yeah. did. That was a stupid idea. Yeah. Yeah. We sure did. And I'm not even talking about like Reagan and Trump and shit. Like I was, re- I'm reading a book. Um, what is that book uh, about '60s film? Um, I'm reading it, but no, I don't you... remember the title. You're talking about yeah. how like, these people all hang out in the same parties. They are yes. in the same class. Easy Riders, Raging Bulls? No, 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 no. Um, no that's about the 70s. Oh, yeah, I guess it is, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I just can't think of that. Uh, the name of the book. Uh, but it's specifically about how JFK like 
you like was so enraptured by like Hollywood myth making that he, you know, got the movie produced about him in his military career. And he just like brings stars into the white house and let people film. And, and like Jackie's like, no, 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 you can't let them film in the oval office. Like, but they're my friends. They want to make a movie. Like, why would I let them do that? Just dumb bullshit. Stupid man. JFK is one of the dumbest guys. Um, this has been forgotten by history because of, you know, uh, but going and reading like any story about what the fuck JK, JFK was like up to in his time there is like, God damn, dude. Yeah. But like in Britain, I mean, I don't really know that much of the, what is, what is, how did this not happen? I guess in Britain. <sighs> I mean, we just had the BBFC. It was like a different, slightly more antagonistic relationship. It was a little more like openly. Like we had the video nasties thing. It was all about look at the fucked up shit they're selling to children. We're just a deeply repressed society. No, uh, the book is um, Pictures of the Revolution. I think. Oh. Yes. Yes, I think. Or is it the no? No, no, no. I have that to read. This is the Dream Life. Uh, I've movies, never heard media, of it. and the mythology of the '60s by Jay Hoberman. It's really good. It's like dense and mostly about like politics, but like, man, if you want to hate fucking everyone who worked in movies and politics in the '60s, it's a good book for that. <laughs> um, I like it quite a bit. Um, questions. Um, okay, and trying to just ask if the movie was really tense or uncomfortable. I actually, uh. Well, I mean, I watch a lot of horror movies, so no. No, I know. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. I guess it could have been like I. I guess it was a horror movie, but I was completely fine with it. Maybe the answer is I'm. I would be fine with more horror movies than I think. I think that's true. Um, I keep being like, you could just push yourself and get there. I think you'd get there. I'm sure I would, but like you know, I, I was scared of The Shining. That's a scary movie. Um no but okay <laughs> it's like 30% shots of hallways what are you talking about yeah but nothing ever happens in them they're bad hallways that doesn't they're matter not... Do you... I felt like the hallways weren't as menacing but maybe it's because the age I saw that movie yeah, I don't know I like, saw The Shining the scariest... relatively late and so like I kind of knew all the content of The Shining before I saw The Shining it's one of those that's also kind of dead to culture to me I mean the content oh. was never the thing it wasn't like all oh, the creepy girls or all oh, the, the dog suit it was just hallways and being slow Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, no, that I have one never does the, it for me. I saw it young, so I have the the creepy lady in the room is what sticks out for me in that movie. Uh, that was the scariest bit for me. Um, and that's it. Of course, uh, emails abnormalmappingpodcast at gmail dot com. Uh, please send them in. I like emails about random movies. They don't have to be about what we're covering, but they could be next time. Jackson, I don't know what we're doing yet. You were supposed to pick something. Yeah, uh, I would like to do Punishment Park. I don't know what the fuck that is. That is a 1971 movie. Punishment Park is a pseudo-documentary film. Um, Okay. That seems wild. Yeah, so we'll see how that is. Um, I'm going to pick something else. It's hard to pick movies now because we have another podcast for for movies. Yeah, but those are movies that I'd be kind of annoyed if you picked for this one. Yeah, well, I w- there was a movie that was on the line that I almost picked. Well, you have to tell me after we... I'll tell you afterwards, yeah. <laughs> where no one can roast me but you. Okay, is this movie findable? Did you check that before you picked it? But it's on my hard drive, so okay. yes. All right. Cool, cool. Um, plugs, Destiny. 
at Fridge Buzz now on your social media outlooks, uh, or excuse me, uh, outlets. Uh, other podcast is called Badland Girls, which can be found at abnormalmapping.com slash Badland Girls. Jackson. You can find me at headfallsoff on twitter.com. Find the podcast that me and M do at abnormalmapping.com. Uh, you should listen to our last abnormal mapping. It was on Forza Horizon 5. That was a good podcast. You can find me on Twitter at EM underscore Bing. You can support all our podcasts at patreon.com slash mapping. That other podcast that Jackson alluded to is a $5 podcast. We comes out once a month called Blockbusters. We're going to be doing the next one next weekend, I think, uh, about miscongeniality. Uh, we just did one on Dirty Harry. That's why we talk about the Dirty Harry sequels that literally no one cares about, but we are going to watch them. Um, <laughs> yes. And... Uh, if you listen to this and you aren't in our Discord, come hang out in our Discord. I wish more people talked about old movies in our Discord, but it, it's not. <laughs> so if you're a fan of this podcast, please come in. You can find a link on the website of neuromapping.com. Come say hi. Hang out. Um, please save us from Marvel Discords anytime something happens. I know they're bad. Uh, they are bad. I keep That's threatening to shunt all the Marvel talk into its own channel and then combine it with the Star Wars talk and make all the Disney fans very uncomfortable with each other. Um, that would be so mean. That's like the I, I opposite to do of... this. And then Austin was like, "You, can't, I would be so... Austin likes our Star Wars channel. That's where he hangs out, so... It was, it's such a cruel and vindictive thing to <laughs> do, is, running only, a community. It's only me doing it for me. Like, oh, here's the two things I don't care about. I'm by the same company. Uh, live in shit, bastards. <laughs> There's plenty of, like... <laughs> equally harmful to the world shit that we talk about and enjoy yes, we're out here talking about final fantasy it's not exactly that different yep no fair enough. i mean we let we, we make the kingdom hearts post go in final fantasy i suffer that's true i guess we did do that two years specifically yep. we could have separated those things out but no it would have been whenever they fucking drop the uh xehanort game thing whenever that's gonna happen it's like months late now wouldn't well, they they said it it will be late again in a month, I guess. Okay. They la- they moved it to like late 2021, so it'll be delayed again uh, on January 30th, <laughs> um, and it'll come out in next June. Okay. That's it. Until next time, movies now more than ever. Don't expect to like them.